Matthew 24, Jesus spoke of the conditions that would prevail um, during the last days just prior to his coming again. And in verse 12, the Bible tells us, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Do you believe that that verse is being fulfilled in our society today? I'd like to share three examples of, of what I believe has some things that I've noticed in the last, some, well, the last couple of years um, about the love of many waxing cold. It's probably 30 years ago plus, there was a couple that had moved into this area. They were an exemplary couple. They were a dedicated couple. They were a devoted couple. They were raising their family for the Lord. And I was really impressed with this young man with his devotion to the Lord and how he spent time with God. And, and there was just numbers of things about that family and that couple that I really appreciated. But later they moved away and, and he began to teach that the women's head covering was no longer important. And they assimilated into the world. And I ask you, how or why did that happen? The second one, Colleen and I worked on a CAM project in California in 2004. And there was a crew leader there from a conservative Mennonite church that fell into sin with a woman from town and brought a lot of reproach on Jesus Christ, brought a reproach on the church. And I ask you how or why did that happen? The third one, there was a Christian young man some time ago, he confessed that he really didn't like reading the Bible that much because it made him guilt, feel guilty for the life that he was living. And I ask you, why? How did that happen? Well, it seems to me in all three of these cases, it's a very slow, incremental moving away from God and his word. And we need to be careful. The Bible says, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And just because Jesus said that, the love of many shall wax cold, does that mean that there's little hope for you and me in 2012? Does that mean that we have little hope against being swept into the river of apostasy that's overflowing Christendom today? But you know what? Jesus gave right following verse 12. He gave verse 13 there in Matthew 24 that gives us hope. Jesus said, but he that shall endure until the end, the same shall be saved. That can be you and me. So I ask you, what can we do or where can we go to protect ourselves against the corrupting influences that are evident today? And my dear people, I'd like to commend you this morning to God and his word. The title of the message this morning is Maintaining a Healthy Reverence and Fear for God. For a text, I would invite you to Hebrews, cha excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29, where the Bible tells us, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence 
and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. I hope that's your desire this morning and my desire that we may serve God in 2021. We may serve him acceptably with reverence and a godly fear. You know, the foundations of many organizations are being threatened today. But praise God, the kingdom that we seek is unshakable. It is unmovable. And I'd like to share, thinking about reverence and a fear for God, uh, I found this definition for reverence from the Nelson's Bible Commentary. It reads like this. A feeling of profound awe and respect. Because of his majesty and holiness, God arouses a feeling of reverence in those who worship and serve him. And brothers and sisters, I sincerely believe that one of the greatest antidotes against apostasy in our day is that we maintain a healthy reverence and fear for God. That's important. That's why we met here today, to gain love and trust for what God has done in the past and to protect us for the future. And I commend you to the word this morning. The first point of the message is the attack against absolute truth. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Here we have an attack against absolute truth. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. You know, God had placed Adam and Eve in a perfect place. He placed them in a perfect environment. And God made a provision. He made abundant provision for all the needs that they had. And beyond that, there was beautiful communion between the Creator and His creation. Adam and Eve and God coming down in the cool of the day and communing with them, uh, we just had communion. But that was the first communion. What a beautiful communion between God and His creation. How is it that Adam and Eve lost their, their, their healthy reverence for God and for their creator. The Bible says, and because iniquity shall abound. Well, what is iniquity? Iniquity is sin or something that is, opposes God and his word. What is the source of iniquity? These are rhetorical questions. You know what they are. The source of iniquity, obviously, is Satan. Satan introduced partial truth that perverted and corrupted absolute truth when he said, Yea, hath God said, he casting doubt on God and his word. God speaks to us in many different ways, in very, many different situations, specifically, and Satan wants to raise the question, Yea, hath God said, did he really, did, oh, come on, do you mean he, he really means that? Yes, he does. When God speaks, he means what he says. And I'm convinced that when we begin to entertain God's... I'm sorry, when we get... I'm convinced that when we begin to entertain thoughts beyond God's word, our relationship with him suffers and we begin to compromise our faith in him. 
And I believe that our life and our actions are a true indicator of the level of reverence that we have for God. As people look at your life, they see the life you're living, they can tell your reverence for God, your reverence and love for this word. Uh, people will know. Second point of the message, God expects a healthy reverence and fear. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 19. This is just prior to the giving of the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 19, verses 10 to 12. The Bible tells us, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai, and thou shalt set bounds or boundaries unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that ye go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever touches the mount shall surely be put to death. God gave specific instructions in preparation for him to share uh, the Ten Commandments here, specific instructions to Israel. Why did God give these specific instructions? Now, if we jump, you know, there in chapter 20, verses 1 to 17, we have the giving of the Ten Commandments. And let's go to chapter 20, verses 18. This immediately follows the giving of the Ten Commandments. And why did God give these instructions? Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 to 20. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God is come to prove you. And what was the purpose of giving these instructions? And that his fear may be upon you before your faces, that ye sin not. God's instructions was so that Israel would not sin. But you know what happens when people grumble and complain against God and his word. Um, there's a classic example in Numbers chapter 21. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 to 6. <clears throat> Thinking of Israel, and as they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass her to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God, and they spake against Moses, Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loath us, or we hate this light bread or this manna. And God sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. You know, often in difficult experiences, we have the tendency, it has the tendency to erode our reverence and fear of God. How many of you have went through a difficult experience and you wonder, where is God? Why is all these difficulties happening to me? Maybe instead of asking why, we should ask what? What do you want me to learn in this situation? And recognize it's an opportunity for God to show his power. When we come to the end of ourselves is when God can move. That's when he can show himself strong on behalf 
of his people. And I thought of the song we just sang a while ago um, about to God be the glory. Great things he has done, has done is in the past. But you think about the people in Haiti, those missionaries, we're looking for God to move. And, and we, the reason that we have trust in God is because his faithfulness in the past. And by God's grace, let's pray that these people can be, uh, you know, returned back to their base and pray that there can be a difference made in these abductors' lives. We don't know what all God is doing, but we know he is at work. And we're looking for him to do wonderful things in the future especially in relation to those that have been abducted. <clears throat> now I'd like to think about David bringing the ark of God back to Jerusalem. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Second Samuel chapter 6 verses 6 to 8a. You know the account and when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. And we'll stop there. You know that the ark was the center of worship for the Jewish people. David, if I understand right, it was about 50 years from the time the, the ark was taken away uh, till it was being returned. 50 years is a long time. David desired that this ark would come back to, to Jerusalem, the center of worship, and it was a good thing. But what happened uh, during, during this interchange? Why did this happen? What was the offense that Uzzah committed? And why or who was responsible? Turn to Exodus 25. I'm going to read this out of the NIV. Exodus 25 tells us why or give us indication of what happened. God had given specific instructions. Exodus 25 verses 12 to 16. Thinking about preparing the ark, cast four gold rings for it and fasten them to its four feet with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the chest or the ark to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of this ark. They are not to be removed. Then put in the ark the testimony which I will give you. So God had given explicit instructions about the ark, how they were to carry it. They were to insert these poles. And who was responsible? You know, Uzzah probably should have known, but David probably should have known too. He probably should not have prepared an ark, I'm sorry, a cart to carry the ark. Uh, that was not what David should have done. But anyway, Uzzah was killed because the people there did not look with respect on God's word. And brothers and sisters, there's a lot of people trying to bring doubt on God's word today. God has spoken. And they say, well, did he really mean Satan says, well, hath God said? And they want to change what God has said. And they will suffer judgment for it. 
What about there are people who have an improper response to the Holy Word of God? Uh, Romans chapter 1, you know this passage well too. I won't spend a lot of time here, but Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 22. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold or who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. God has specifically instructed people, has given his word, and there are people that have chosen to suppress it. They don't want to know, and they try to hold truth at bay. It reminds me some time ago of a man that uh, his parents used to go to this church. But anyway, they, uh, his I guess he was giving consideration with divorce and remarriage and his parents told him that, that, you know, it was wrong, but he went to the mountains and he sought God and he said God revealed him that it was okay for him to get remarried again. Is that what we find in the word? Let's move to verse 28. Uh, Romans 1.28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And I thought it was interesting in the margin of my Bible, thinking about a reprobate mind, it says a mind void of judgment. Isn't that interesting? God turns them over to a reprobate mind. If they want to suppress the truth and neglect the truth, God turns them over to a reprobate mind. It's a mind that's void of judgment. And I thought that was very interesting. Is it your desire to have a healthy reverence for God, a a fear of Almighty God? I feel sure it is. But I'd like us to consider now three, uh, this is the third point, identifying some hindrances that get in the way of a healthy reverence for God. We're going to move through these fairly quickly. The first one would be from Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 16. This is identifying false worship and idolatry. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 16. Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived and ye turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. God's word said, be careful that you're not deceived. And there's a lot of deception in our world today. First Chronicles chapter 16 verse 29 would kind of be an antidote to that. First Chronicles chapter 16 verse 29. I know we have a fair amount of scripture but I guess we shouldn't apologize for Scripture. God's Word is true and powerful. First Chronicles 16, 29, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That's what God desires. Not false worship. He desires that we worship Him 
in the beauty of holiness. What's another thing that can get in the way of our reverence and respect and for the fear of God would be a busy lifestyle. And it's important. We should be busy. We have a lot of things to do. But Matthew 6, 33, I should be able to quote this by heart. Matthew 6, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek first. How many of you, how, how many of us are seeking God first? Or we think, well, you know, I, I know devotional life's important, but I have this to do, I have that to do today. You know, if I get t- time, I'll, I'll do it. I'll have my devotions, and our day fills up. And, well, tomorrow's another day. The Bible says, but seek ye first. Do you want to have a reverence? Do you want to have a fear of God? Put God first. That's what the Bible says. Seek ye first. I guess some people's investment, thinking about their devotional, they count a devotional like an investment at the bank. Let's say Brother Dave decides on January 1, he's going to go into his bank. I don't know what bank you go to, but he's going to go into the bank. He's going to make a deposit, and then he's going to, we're going to say he's getting 5% interest on his money. And then at the end of the year, December 31, he goes into the bank and said, I want my money. I want my uh, interest. Well, Brother Dave only made a dollar a deposit, and he gets a nickel at the end of the year. Brother Samuel, on the other hand, I'm just using this as comparison. I don't believe this is indicative of their life. Brother Samuel had $10,000, and he invested it on January 1, and he went to the bank at the end of the year to get... Um, to get his return, and he got $500. I think that was the, the investments. $1 is opposed to 10000 Samuel got five, $500 at the end of the year. Because, why did he get so much money? It's because he made an investment. Brothers, I believe more than you. Dave, I believe better than you than that. But my point is this. What kind of investment are you making? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Are you seeking to have a reverence and a love and a fear for God? What kind of return are you getting on your investment? Thirdly, identifying another hindrance is desiring earthly riches. From 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. What is the antidote for that? Drop back to verse 6. 1 Timothy 6, 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Verses 11 and 12. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called and have professed a good profession before many witnesses. What are you, you desiring? What are you banking on? Is it earthly things or heavenly riches? 
What about desiring a position or status in the church? Look at 3 John verses 9 and 10. 3 John verses 9 and 10. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, pratting against us with malicious words, and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. There's a danger of people having a desire to have a certain status or certain position in the life of the church. Is that what God desires? Absolutely not. Um, what about those who seek the praise of men? I'm not going to turn to it, but Matthew chapter 6 talks about three areas that we need to be careful about. Number one is giving. Number two is prayer. And the third is fasting. And Jesus pointed out the the danger of those that want to be seen of men. They want to have the praise of men. Jesus said, you have your reward. They have their reward. But that is not what God calls us to. We're supposed to do things in secret, and then God will reward you openly. So when you give, when you pray, when you fast, do it secretly, and the Bible says that he will reward you openly. Uh, it reminds me now, as I look on the bulletin board in the back, I'd like to thank you as a congregation, I meant to earlier, but for your response to David and Julie Heatwell's uh, tragedy. You all responded in a tremendous way, and it blessed my heart. And I'd like to thank you for your contribution to those that have experienced loss. Not only in physical loss, minister to those that have other losses as well. The fourth, uh, I'm sorry, the sixth area we need to be aware of deception. Matthew chapter 24, verse 4, the Bible reads this way. Matthew 24, verse 4, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. The disciples had come asking Jesus, What's the condition of the end times? And Jesus said this at the very beginning. He said, Take, take heed that no man deceive you. And brothers and sisters and young people, I'd like to say, I believe you and I are being inundated with lots of information uh, beyond what we have in God's Word. And I'm not saying it's wrong for you to go on the computer. It's not wrong for you to get out your, your phone. But would you really like to know how much time that you have invested during the week if you could compare how much time that you spend on your tech devices as opposed to the Word of God, how do you think it would stack up? I'm saying we're being inundated with information and lots of things, and I believe that's what Satan wants to do. Adam and Eve, they had the Word of God. They knew, and Satan wanted to interject something else, and Satan wants to do that yet today. He wants to continue to interject you with all kinds of other information that maybe is not pertinent to the issues that we face and to get us off track. I say, be careful. I'm not going to turn to this one either uh, because of lack of time, but another area that we need to be very careful is our insubordination to authority. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. And where does that authority come? God puts uh, 
people in places of authority, and when we reject um, or resist the authority, we're resisting God. I'm not going to turn to that passage, but let's be careful. Let's identify those hindrances that would break down our reverence and our fear for God. I'd like to close with a passage from Isaiah chapter 6 in thinking about a proper response to a holy God. We're talking about building up and strengthening and having, maintaining a healthy reverence and a fear for God. Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 to 8. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the voice, I'm sorry, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, woe is me, Isaiah said, for I am a man undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. I thought it was interesting in this context it, verse 1, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Why did King Uzziah die? Was it natural death or what happened? If I understand right, it was about seven, <clears throat> excuse me, 740 B.C. And King Uzziah, he had started his kingship well. He had started in humility. He started well at, at age 16. But later on... <clears throat> He got, had a lot of prosperity and things went well, but he began to be proud. And he went to go into the temple to offer incense in the temple, and it was not right for him to do that. It was the priest's responsibility to do that. And he was struck with leprosy because the uh, others came to him and said, really, it's not right for you to do that. And he got upset and mad, and he got leprosy for that act of arrogance and God judged him. Why? Because he went against God's word. We need to be careful when God speaks, we need to reverence. We need to respect what he says. Second um, Chronicles 16, 16 to 23. <clears throat> Second Chronicles 26, I'm sorry, 16 to 23. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the 
altar of incense. And pretty well, I've already told you the story that Azariah went in and told him it was not right for him to do that. But I would like to go back. Yes, we have the context there in Isaiah uh, chapter 6. But I'd like to think now of Isaiah and his vision. Notice four things that it did for Isaiah. Number one, he recognized his undoneness. And brothers and sisters, you and I have the privilege this morning to look into God's word. I'm not going to convict you of something in your life, but the Holy Spirit could. As we come close into fellowship with God, we see his word, we recognize how undone that we are. And this happened to Isaiah. Number In verse 5, when he had this vision, Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And whether it's here this morning, or we have the privilege here in November 1st through the 7th, when Delmer Troyer comes, I believe Delmer's going to open the word to God. Should I be so concerned with my wife and hope she hears the message that, that is spoken? Or should I be concerned about my life, what God is doing, speaking to me? And <clears throat> we have the privilege of responding just like Isaiah did. In verse 5, number 1, he recognized his undoneness. Number 2, Isaiah repented and he confessed. He said, I, I'm undone. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He felt so unworthy when he was faced with the holiness of God. And brothers and sisters, we have that same opportunity to recognize how undone we are before God, before his holiness. Notice verse 7. The third thing that happened to Isaiah, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. We find forgiveness here. A man who was willing to acknowledge he was undone and confess, and he received forgiveness. But notice what follows in verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. Following undoneness, repentance and confession, following forgiveness, there is a commissioning. A commissioning to go out and do God's bidding. As we think about our revivals coming up, and Brother Dave, I think you get to preach right before our revivals, so I'm not trying to tread in his territory in preparation for that, but I would like to ask each of us, how will, we how will we approach our revival meetings? Will we give it little thought? It's a time slot. It's a week that we need to get through. Or will, will we seek to meet with God? Will we seek to hear? Will we seek to reverence and fear God and make a change in my heart? Not so much other's heart and I guess I am enough of a hunter to say this I recognize that our revival meetings is the midst of hunting season maybe not in the rut but it's getting close but is my concern boy 
sure hope we can get through this. I hope the rut hadn't started so I can do some hunting. What is my goal? What is my focus? Do I have a reverence for God? Do I want change in my heart, in my life? Or is it just an inconvenience that, well, I hope, you know, we'll soon get through this and we can go on with life? Will we give it serious consideration? Will we ask questions, how is my standing before Almighty God? Will we, we respond just like Isaiah when he had his vision before God? He recognized his undoneness and he confessed his undoneness and he repented, he confessed. He received forgiveness and then he was commissioned to go out and make a difference for God's kingdom. In conclusion, brothers and sisters, I believe with all my heart that having a proper reverence and a proper fear for Almighty God will affect every aspect of our life. I believe it will affect our devotional life, our worship, our submission, our speech, our appearance on Sunday and through the week, our goals, our motives, and even our spare time. May God help us to develop and cultivate a healthy reverence and fear for Almighty God. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. May we grow in reverence and love for Almighty God. Shall we have a song?